The American author and journalist Lionel Shriver once wrote, Yet in my experience, when left to their own devices, people will get up to one of two things, nothing much and no good. Now, she was at least half right in her saying. Uh, this is the portion of the book of Judges into which now we descend. This is the portion of mostly darkness. The light of God is not readily present. The activity of God is not overly obvious. God has not raised up any judges, really, in the rest of this book. And it seems that the children of God have now been left to their own devices. And the bizarre events that unfold are a result of an environment that allows everyone to be free to do, well, whatever they want. Well, let me show you what I mean on this episode of By the Verse. Thank you for joining me on By the Verse. This is a podcast that is all about God's Word. Now, we've just been walking through the book of Judges, and on our last episode, we finished Samson, and he is the last judge in the book of Judges. Now, of course, the concept of judges that God raises up extends into the book of 1 Samuel, but Samson is the last judge uh, in this book. And so we are here at chapter 17 and the last several chapters uh, of this book are all going to be kind of similar, kind of weird, kind of bizarre, uh, kind of stories that you wish weren't in uh, the Bible necessarily, but they are. And God is not mentioned very much. Um, there's no direct intervention of God. Uh, there's no praying, uh, calling on the name of God, really. There's, there's no answer from God. There's no angel of the Lord. God does not deliver. He does not raise up uh, any leadership here. You know, God is somewhat absent. Now, we know He is not absent. We know He has not uh, left His people or forsaken them at all. It just seems that he's just kind of let them do their thing. And that's what we're going to see uh, in this uh, segment that we'll read today. Now, we're going to read chapter 17 and 18. We're not going to read all of chapter 18. Uh, but this is really one big story with three main episodes. And we're going to begin in chapter 17, verse 1. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the eleven hundred pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of the silver and gave it to a silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest." 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. All right, so this is the first uh, episode in this story, and it takes place in the hill country of Ephraim. And actually, uh, many of the moments in the rest of the book are going to happen in and around the hill country of Ephraim. And that is because Ephraim is really centrally located in Israel and the spiritual barometer of Ephraim is somewhat a spiritual barometer of the whole nation. In fact, much later, uh, sometimes Ephraim and Israel are used interchangeably uh, in, in some of the writings later in the history of God's people. Okay, So this is just a symbolic of the spiritual condition of the entire nation. So we have a mother-son duo. Uh, they really do deserve each other. Uh, because the son confesses that he's stolen 1,100 pieces of silver, which coincidentally is the same amount of silver that was given to Delilah from each of the Philistine lords. Now, that has led some to falsely conclude that this must be a story about Delilah. Now, that is really not the case. Uh, Delilah was a Philistine, uh, and you know she was not a worshiper of God as these people seem to be. Okay, so this woman is not uh, Delilah. So the woman's son, Micah, confesses to having stolen his mother's money, and it seems that he only confesses this because his mother has spoken a curse over whoever stole it. And this young man is very superstitious, as we will see. Uh, he does not want to be cursed, and so he returns the money to his mother, and his mother, surprisingly, does not condemn him or correct him in any way. Instead, she reverses the curse that she had spoken and instead speaks a blessing over her son. This is a picture of modern parenting, the kind of parenting that never corrects a child but always praises, the kind of parenting that is more concerned about the quality of the relationship with the child instead of the quality of the child's character. So she's excited that the money has been restored, and she decides to dedicate it to the Lord. So at this point, we need to acknowledge that these are people who are worshiping the God of Israel. Uh, they believe in the God of Israel. These are not pagan uh, people. These are uh, Israelites. But instead of worshiping him in a way uh, that honors him, they decide to worship him in a way that clearly violates his commandments. Because she decided to take a portion of the silver. Now, she had dedicated all the silver, but she only took 200 pieces and she made a carved, uh, she dedicated it to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, there is some debate as to whether uh, carved and metal are just two aspects of the same item or whether they are two different items, but it seems uh, that whether they are two different idols, uh, items or not, uh, they both would violate God's commandment that Israel should not make an image of God. Of course, that is what all the pagan nations did. They made gods themselves that represented the deities that they worshipped, and that's exactly what God did not want his people to do. They didn't, he didn't want them to make a graven image of him. 
But that's exactly what they do here. And Micah takes uh, these items and he makes a shrine in his own home. He makes several other religious items, including an ephod. Now, an ephod is a garment uh, that was made, uh, that was used to inquire of the Lord, and you could receive yes or no uh, answers. And then he set up one of his own sons to be a priest. Okay, so basically, he has created a house of worship uh, in his own house, which at this time uh, was really forbidden. I mean, that really was not uh, what they should have uh, been doing. And by installing his own son, who did not qualify to be a priest, he was also violating uh, God's order of things. God had ordained that only Levites could serve uh, as priests, and these people are Ephraimites. Uh, They don't qualify uh, to be priests, and yet uh, he has uh, made his son uh, a priest. Okay, Now, uh, these are people who believe in God, and yet they violate God's commands and God's structure. And all of this is happening in the backyard of the actual tabernacle where the actual real priests serve in Shiloh, which is also in Ephraim. Now, uh, the temple is where all the sacrifices are supposed to be. It's where you know the primary priestly duties are uh, carried out. But instead, uh, Micah has created a religion of convenience. This is uh, the beginning of an emerging religious climate that prevailed at Israel at the time. It is a mixed up and confused type of religion. It's a religion uh, that takes the name of God and, and the good things about God and yet rejects the commands of God. It's a religion that is based on what is convenient for the worshiper instead of what is pleasing to the one being worshipped. And this is where the author introduces the statement that in those days, you know, there was no king and everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. Now, that attitude is the prevailing attitude of the rest of the book. And we'll see that as we head here now into verse 7. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he surjoined there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to surjoin where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I can find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me. To be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons, and Micah ordained the Levite. And the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as priest. All right, so Micah has a personal religious system going on here in his house. He's got a whole church uh, here. 
and he has this great fortune that this Levite uh, has happened upon uh, his home on his on his journeys. Okay, now this Levite had been living in Bethlehem in Judea, and he was in search of his own place. You know, this is someone who is ambition ambitious. He is trying to find his own place in the world. Now, the interesting thing is that Bethlehem uh, was not one of the towns listed in Joshua chapter 20 and 21 that were allotted for the Levites. Now, remember, the Levites don't get a territory. They don't get uh, a tribal inheritance uh, like the other tribes, but they do get certain specific cities that they can live in, and Bethlehem was not one of them. And so this guy had already been living outside the will of God when he was in Bethlehem, and he left there trying to pursue something even better for himself. And so he happens upon Micah's place, and Micah thinks this is great because now he's got someone who qualifies by blood to be a priest. Now, he doesn't care that he doesn't qualify by spirit, because clearly his his spirit is not obedient uh, to God, but he cares that he qualifies by blood uh, to be a priest. And so he offers him a good deal of money. He offers him a good living. He offers him financial blessing and benefit, a steady paycheck. Now, remember, uh, in our previous episode, we, we said that 1,100 pieces of silver is quite a bit of money. So the fact that uh, Micah's mother had that, um, says that these people are well-off people, okay? These are not people who are hurting uh, for money. And so Micah and his mother were well-off. Uh, so this is a huge professional opportunity for this young Levite. This is a professional spiritual leader, and he does not rebuke Micah. So what is set up in his home uh, violates the commands of God on several points, and instead, this young, ambitious Levite is more than happy to go along with this because Micah will pay him. This is a horrible commentary on our time in the church here in America. Now, there is nothing wrong uh, with pastors being compensated for work. Uh, we see that clear in the New Testament. Uh, but when you become a gun for hire, well, something is wrong with that picture. Uh, when you will just work for whoever is the highest bidder, uh, there's something quite wrong with this picture. Micah does not want to please God and honor God. What he wants is to be blessed by God. And there are people out there who are Christians for no other reason except that they are chasing some form of material blessing and they are uh, eager to find pastors and teachers and preachers who will feed that. And those pastors, teachers, and preachers are more than happy for the price of a book and a good love offering to keep these people in a continuous state of feeling as though they are in right relationship with God and that God is going to bless them and do great things in their life, all the while never truly addressing the character issues in their heart. 
Well, let's jump into a portion of chapter 18, verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Estuel, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite, and they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of God. All right, so we've said earlier in uh, these episodes that the tribe of Dan not only failed to uh, conquer the tribal territory that was allotted to them, but they were actually driven out of it. And so they ended up settling here and there, and they, they kind of settled in a portion that was uh, connected to Ephraim. And so that, that wasn't necessarily what had been allotted to them. That's just kind of where they were. But finally, it says they were looking for a place. Okay, so the Levites looking for a place, and now the Danites are are restless, and they're looking for a place uh, of their own. They're not looking for God's place; uh, they're looking for a place of their own. And so they commission these spies to go and spy out the land, and they happen upon uh, Micah's house with this Levite, um, and they recognize the Levite has an accent. Okay, they recognize he they recognize he's not from around here, and in their interaction, they they realize oh he's a priest, and you know they know there's an afad there, and okay, so they ask him to inquire of the Lord, and there's no record that the priest actually inquired of the Lord. I mean, why would he? He knows what he's supposed to do. His job is to make people feel comfortable in what they already want to do. Now, uh, he could have corrected these men. He, he could have said to them, hey, wait, you're from the tribe of Dan, and you want to go where exactly? Hey, that is not the place that's allotted uh, to you according to Joshua and how he laid it out for them. Uh, he could have told them the word of God that was already available uh, to them because they knew uh, the stories in Joshua. But that is not what he does. He is trained to understand what people want and then give them the spiritual support that they need to pursue their own desires. Yeah, he's not led by God in anything that he says. Um, He's just led by wanting to be liked. And so he tells these guys what they want to hear. Uh, This priest also is giving us a horrible commentary. This is a sad commentary on the state of the, of the modern preacher in the Western church. You know, we only listen to people who tell us what we want to hear. A faithful teacher of God's word will explain to you his word and his reproof. A sincere Bible expositor will help you to see that God does love you and he is for you. But he also demands a standard of holiness without which no man shall see God. 
If the pastor or teacher says something in a sermon or a teaching or in some context and it rubs you the wrong way, why don't you take that as an opportunity to stop and weigh what is said? Maybe it could be, hey, that the pastor really is wrong in what he said. Maybe he really is short-sighted. Maybe he has not exposited that particular passage uh, correctly. That's possible. But it could also be possible that the reason that it rubbed you the wrong way is because if you actually followed what the pastor was saying, it would cost you something. Whatever that something is just might be an idol in your life. Now, I'm going to skip several verses here because basically what happens next is these spies, they go up uh, to the land, they see that it's great, the people are defenseless, it's a good land, so they go back to their people, they gather 600 uh, Danite fighters, and they are going to go up and they're going to take this land, this particular land, they're going to take us far, far, far up uh, in the north of Israel. And so they've got to pass right back through where the spies had come, so they pass right back uh, by Micah's house, okay? And they realize, these five spies uh, tell the other soldiers that are with them, hey, when we came by here, hey, we, we saw there's an afad here. There's all these religious items here. We should take this stuff with us, right? I mean, these are religious items. Of course, they have the blessing of God and, and we should take them uh, with us. And initially, the Levite protests, but then they make the Levite an offer that he cannot conf- that he cannot refuse in verse uh, starting at nineteen, and they said to him, "Keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. It is better for you to be priest to the house of one man, or to be priest to a tribe and a clan in Israel." And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. Wow. Uh, This is truly a pastor for hire uh, whose only interest is money and what's best for him. And he sees an opportunity to take this little household religion and spread it to more people. This is every pastor's dream, right? To get a bigger platform and to minister to more people. And sometimes it's actually difficult to distinguish between godly ambition and ungodly ambition. You have to be close enough to a person to see their motives and watch long enough and listen closely enough to pick up on whether they're genuine or not. You know, numerical and financial success in ministry isn't a problem. The problem is that some are building a kingdom, but it's not the kingdom of God. So, the Danites take this uh, stuff, they loot the place, uh, they, they take this Levite. When Micah finds out about it, he gathers some of his neighbors, he goes out to meet them, and he quickly realizes they're stronger than he is. And so, the guy who stole money from his mother gets his items stolen uh, from him, and he just goes back home. That's the sad truth about false religion, prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel, is that it never really delivers on its, on its promises. 
it will always leave you empty and bankrupt and disappointed. And that's exactly where Micah is as he has to walk back to his empty house. Let's pick it up at verse 27. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish to the people, quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belonged to Bethrohab. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it, and they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. All right, so here you have the 600 men. They go off, they do a massacre. Uh, they burn down the city, they rebuild it, name it after their ancestor. And then finally, we find out the name and the lineage of this unnamed Levite. He's a descendant of Moses. Now, the statement uh, that that he is Jonathan, uh, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, may make some people think that he's the grandson of Moses. Okay, And if that were true, then it would mean that this story would have happened much earlier in the book of Judges. However, the phrase that, you know, Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, could also just simply mean that he was a descendant of Jonathan, so that he, he was a descendant of Moses. Okay, And so that would actually preserve the chronology that we uh, seem to have here that this happens after uh, Samson. Now, why has the writer intentionally not told us the name of this young uh, Levite? Well, I think the answer is that he wants it to be shocking to us. Uh, he wants us uh, to read that and think, are you kidding me? This is uh, Moses's uh, descendants, that this is what they've become. They've become nothing more than hired guns who will work for whoever will finance their lifestyle. You know, how could that be? But that is exactly how this story turns out. This young man had no courage to rebuke Micah and no courage to rebuke the Danites. Instead, he takes this little home religion and he takes it up to Dan's new territory, and he expands it to more people. And all this happens at a time uh, where the house of God, the real house of God, was down in Shiloh, where everything was supposed to be, at that time, the religious center of the whole nation, okay, of the whole group of people. Dan, by the way, became a center of cultic worship all the way down through the time uh, of the exile uh, of the northern kingdom by the hands of the Assyrians. So this became a well-established and long-running place of, uh, of idolatry and false worship. Now, what is the takeaway? In this episode, Micah and his mother 
And then, of course, Micah and the Levite, and then Micah and the Danites. These are all people who want to have God in their lives, but they only want God their way. They only want to have God according to the things that they want. They want to have the name of God, but they are not willing to actually submit to God's will expressed in His commandments. And this is a perfect commentary on our time. We live in a time where people believe they can be spiritual and yet not really submit to the true Spirit of God. We live in a time where people believe they can have a relationship with Jesus and yet have nothing to do with the bride of Christ, have no part in the church whatsoever. We live in a time where people love the words of Jesus about love and forgiveness, and yet they don't want anything to do with the standard of sexual ethic that God has laid out for us elsewhere in the New Testament. Well, I hope that that's not you. I hope that you take the good parts and the parts that are actually challenging for you to live out and to understand in your life. We need the Spirit of God to help us with those challenging parts of Scripture, especially those ones that really rub hard against our character. Don't reject them just because it's hard. Let God's Spirit help you to understand it, receive it, and live it. Well, that's all I have for you today on this episode of By the Verse. Thank you so much for being with me. We will actually finish out the book in our next episode, and I can't wait to do that with you on By the Verse.